Hey, what is up? Welcome back to the show. Today we're revisiting the theme of board builders. And part of my goal here is to highlight the many roles involved in board building, not just the role of the shaper, which I uh, am responsible for doing for the last four years. We're expanding our horizons now. And another goal is really to help demystify the construction process of board building. I'd like to attempt to educate about the materials that are used and how different constructions perform in the water. All of this is in an effort to empower you and I. I would like to make sure that we're investing our surfboard money wisely, and I would like to ensure that we are getting on the right equipment. I rode boards that were way too small for me for the first 10 years of my surf experience. It did me no favors in terms of uh, advancing my performance progress. But that brings us to today's guest, Greg Martz. Greg, as a guest, satisfies all of those goals. He will help us demystify all of these things. But he also plays a really important role contextually in the picture of the board building industry. And I'll explain that context to you in just a minute. But first, I want to wrap up this ongoing conversation that I've been having with Maui board builder Jeff Timponi. We planned this talk for April in concert with Earth Day because Jeff is doing his part to reduce environmental impact of board construction. He's using bio-based resins, hemp and flax cloths, And if you want an EPS core from him, he's using a recycled foam. If you want to use a polyurethane core, he's using a solar-made foam. And these materials net an estimated 30% reduction in environmental impact with no noticeable degradation in board performance nor longevity. So this construction method, he is branded as Maui Leaf Light, and we are going to give one of those boards away. This show is listener supported and we have a PayPal donation button set up on surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate. Jeff and his son are both longtime listeners of this show. And so he reached out and offered to donate a board and uh, we're going to give that board away. Anybody who donates in the month of April will be entered to win it. So I'm going to pick a name at random on May 1st and then Jeff will build that board custom to the winner's specifications. Because I really don't make any stock boards. I mean, I might do six or ten stock boards a year, just if I have a little break and I feel like, I, I, or I have an idea that I want to pump out there. But on all of my boards, you know, I build them around the person who's coming in to get a board. So I want to try to add stuff that I know will help increase their pleasure with the equipment, um, either in both longevity-wise and to help their surfing progress. There's a, a rigmarole I go through when someone's ordering a board, and I'm going to do the same with whoever orders the board that, or the winner of the, uh, you know, the listener who wins is going to get that same treatment. So over this past month, Jeff has provided a lot of education for me about lessening environmental impact in regard to board building, uh, specifically in regard to foam, resin, and cloth. But you know I'm obsessed with fins since 2018, basically. I've dedicated time and interest to learning more about fins and how and why they work. So I was curious about what efforts towards sustainability are being made in regard to fin manufacturing. Actually, one of the first ones we built in the leaf-like construction had wood fins, a leash loop, and there was no plastic in it. And, that, and it, was, it was fun, but it was you know, labor-intensive making the wood fins because some of that stuff's hard to buy anymore. Me. <laughs> me <laughs> I've done a few yeah in fact I've got an order coming up for uh, the guy wants some wood um, 
you know, uh, keel fins for a, for a fish. And, you know, and, and it'll, be, it'll sound weird, but you know, I'm in, my shop is in a big old pineapple cannery, and there's a bunch of woodworkers and uh, you know, other board builders as well. But every once in a while, I'll go walking by the dumpsters, and, oh, look at that, a piece of marine plywood. And so I'll always grab it, and that's what I've been making the stuff out of, is literally dumpster, dive, dumpster diving fins. In addition to their efforts with the Maui Leaf Light Boards, Timponi Surfboards is also a member of 1% for the Planet, which was founded by Yvonne Chouinard of Patagonia. Members contribute at least 1% of annual sales to the organization, who then uses those funds to fight environmental causes. Patagonia is, of course, a founding member, but Timponi Surfboards is the only board builder that I'm aware of who is also a member. So, good guys over there on Maui. I'll be visiting them in October, and then Jeff is actually headed here to Southern California to join me at the Boardroom Show on May 5th and 6th. He'll be bringing a couple of the Maui Leaf Light boards for display in my booth. I think that they'll also be available for sale, so if you want to take those off his hands so he doesn't have to bring them back to Maui, that would be appreciated, and you will be the benefactor of that. And then also, just come by and chat. Come by and chat about all this sustainability stuff. I'll have all the attendance information and links to his social media on surfsplendorpodcast.com. That's also, of course, where you can donate to this show and be entered to win the Maui Leaf Light board, custom built to your specs. And then we suggest just doing a recurring monthly donation of five bucks. The deadline to do so is April 30th, 1159 p.m. So thank you for that. It goes a long way towards continuing production of this show and now lately towards expanding the production. So thanks for donating the board, Jeff. So I was talking about Greg Martz, and I was mentioning that his role is important in the context of the larger surf world. Originally, board builders built everything from start to finish, much much like Jeff Timponi was just explaining he still does. The same person shaped the foam, glassed it, set the fins, sanded it. As things progressed, people developed specialized talents in each of those realms, which makes logical sense. And then as production increased for a given brand or surfboard label, there were specialized laborers doing these individual tasks, but they were all done in-house in the same factory. Now enter Greg Martz. He founded the Waterman's Guild in 1983, and it's a glassing-only facility. But every brand from Velzy to Lightning Bolt to Channel Islands and Rusty, they've all been glassed by the Waterman's Guild. The Waterman's Guild was not the first glass shop, but it is one of the best known in the world, and Greg certainly helped usher in that era by being ultra-reliable and consistently putting out the highest quality glass jobs. So in today's conversation, Greg helps me to understand how to define quality in surfboard glassing, although he doesn't really directly answer that question when I ask him at the beginning of this conversation. I eventually get him to break it down at the end, so stick around for that. He spills the secrets for how to properly laminate a board. He talks about the value of having a thick skin and learning to accept criticism from perfectionists and the importance of friends when persevering situational depression. He's a super good dude, and he actually reminds me a lot of the male role models I had growing up who I respected and then, to be quite honest, I was afraid of. He's just a no-nonsense guy, all about hard work and dependability. 
And I've had a few boards that actually came from the Waterman's Guild. They were glassed at the Waterman's Guild, but I had never met Greg. And everyone who I had ever talked to who had mentioned his name referred to him positively and with a lot of reverence, not only for his work, but for who he is as a human. So I am glad to have finally had this conversation with Greg, and I'm glad to be able to share it with you, and then, of course, add it to this broader, ongoing conversation about surfing. So, without further ado, this is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and here is my conversation with Greg Martz. Enjoy. Your name has come up repeatedly on with in terms of listeners recommending like, hey, you should interview so-and-so. A lot of people have mentioned you, which I think is interesting because for the most part, surfboard shapers have become the rock stars of the industry. You don't hear a lot about laminators or sanders or polishers or anything like that. But for some reason, people know your name and they certainly know of the Waterman's Guild. What do you attribute that to? quality and sticking sticking to it the whole time i mean i when i went in there doing i've always learned to do the best i can do so i wanted to open my own shop i didn't want to work for everybody else and do you know my product there i wanted to i want to control over the whole thing um you mentioned the word quality that's something that everybody always mentions as well what does that mean what what is a quality glass job? Well, the technique was I learned from the best guys. I mean, the guys that invented it, and it was like as the way I do it is like I pick guys that that do really. I, I shoot guns too, and it was like when I wanted to learn, I shot with guys that were really good. I tried to emulate their techniques, you know. And the same with when I was building surfboards, it was just you have to do the best. That was the way I was raised. It was yeah. just like. You don't do sub-marginal or shit work, you know? And it's just like, when you're when you're done with everything, you know, the whole thing's over, and it's just like, what what did you do in your life? And it was like, you have to leave something, you know? At least I thought I did, and mm-hmm. my dad did. He did all kinds of quality woodworking and, you know, other things as well. But I, I wanted to be a surfboard laminator. I don't know why. Ah! Anyway, <laughs> how, how do you feel about that decision now? No, I, I would do it again. Would but you? it was like the main reason is because back then, shapers very rarely did shapers talk to other shapers, and I didn't want to be just a shaper that didn't talk to other people. Now, if you're a laminator, you're talking to all the shapers, and you get the expertise of all those guys, and that's just the way I saw it. So I always tried to do. And it was like the way you get better, more work is to do better quality. So, where'd you grow up? <laughs> La Mirada. Oh, really? Yeah. My mom lives in La Mirada. Pico Rivera originally. Okay. All you guys out in Pico Rivera, PR, you. Anyway. <laughs> you think, do you think we have listeners in Pico? <laughs> yeah, I, there's so many guys that started there. <laughs> so, so, dude, no joke. My mom lives in La Mirada. She works for the school district there. Uh-huh. She has her whole life. So, no, I, I know the area well. I, I, my mother wouldn't let me get a car. Obviously, I couldn't afford it. But unless I had a job to pay insurance. And so she let me the first three years. I didn't get my license till I was 17 and a half. And I used to just thumb down Beach Boulevard. Yeah. And it was like, once you get into the... And then I left my surfboard in Huntington Beach. And that's how I met Sonny Vardaman. Sonny, Vardaman, Sonny is my, like, 
the mentor for me. He's the one that dragged me <laughs> off the streets, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and brought me into the lamb room. And he told me I almost put him out of business once, but I've gone back to... <laughs> so Huntington Beach was kind of ground zero for you. What years are we talking about? That was uh, 63, 64, 65. Okay. Yeah. And... You started laminating his boards. Was that the the introduction into board I know. Building? I when okay, I kind of grew up not grew up, but my family had members in Belmont Shore, and I learned how to skimboard and sail Belmont Shore. And one time we're out on the ocean skimming, and it was one of those years where the swell came through the oh yeah the harbor entrance. And at that point, I'd never seen guys surfing. You know, we always went to Laguna or. You know, other beaches where there weren't really way. I never went to Huntington. I never saw a guy surf. And then I I had just eaten shit on the sand, you know, uh, on the skimboard that I made. And that's the other thing. I made skimboards for oh. like from 11 to 14. Oh, okay. You know, know and uh, anyway, so I ate it one day. We started getting towed by bikes on the really hard sand as fast as I ever gone. Anyway, <laughs> Anyway, after eating it on the on the dry sand, I looked up and there were guys catching waves out at the end of the jetty. And it was like, I see them fall off, but it, I knew it didn't hurt as bad as what I just did, you know? So yeah. I told my dad when I got back that day, I go, I want to be a surfer now. You know, the hell with skimboarding. And he goes, well, you're going to have to build it. So it took me a year to save up the money. For a kit, $90. Where would you buy a kit? From Rosser Surfboards. Really? In Whittier. Actually, it was Rosser Boatworks, but they jumped oh, okay. on the bandwagon. And they offered, you You get a blank, the fiberglass, the resin for $90. Was it Clark Foam? I, I don't know. Hmm. It was either Clark or Walker. It was one or the other. Or I was wondering if they were just selling some We just got a blank. Foam. And then it was like my dad was so handy, he would, we cut it. In half okay. and glued a, a one-inch mahogany stringer, which added way more weight than I needed. But anyway, it was my first surfboard. Wish I had that. We ended up burning it as a surf sacrifice No, years later. Way. <laughs> what were you sacrificing for? I, I don't know. It was like the thing to do. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I had sold it to my cousin, and he ruined it. So okay. we needed a... Something to burn one night, you know, and it was like a joke, you know. Burning things always seems like a great idea it, at like it, midnight. It smelled terrible. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, that's fascinating, though, buying that surf kit. Was there instructions for what you needed to do? Did you know anything about the process of building a My dad knew people. He worked for the Department of Water and Power before he was... Uh... Anyway, they knew everything there. And he told me how to how they glass boats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That I mean, the way I glassed that surfboard, I in a million years, I would never do that again. Sure. You know. Sure, sure. But I'm just thinking there's such limited access to information back then as compared to now. You got resin, you got a but... brush, you got catalyst. You, you, and it was like the, the live and learn thing. It was just like, oh, I put too much catalyst in that one, you know. <laughs> yeah. How did that board work? That Well, it got me, you know, going for a first, yeah, couple of years. Did it? Yeah. And then I bought a used Weber. Well, it's used one day and the kid got hit in the head and his parents wouldn't let him surf anymore. So for, what was it, 95 bucks, five bucks more than I paid to build, which I'm glad I built it. That was, well, obviously, Dictating I wouldn't life. be here. Yeah. <laughs> so you got the used Weber? 
Yeah. And then really um, cool Weber with the three inch balsa stringer. Yeah. Okay. Do you still have that by any no, chance? No, 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 okay. no. I still have some of. I've got my original last Vardaman. Oh, do you? Yeah, which I I sold to a guy for a hundred bucks when I just before I moved down to Dana Point, and uh, after living there for a year, I noticed. Well, wait a minute. I should probably buy that back, you know. And I just happened to go to the guy's house in Hollywood, and he was loading it onto a moving van. He was moving back east. I mean, it was like if I had a move, come there an hour later, I never would have seen it again, or I didn't even know the guy's name. So it was like I couldn't have tracked it down, but I got it. And then, uh, <clears throat> anyway, got it back, paid a hundred bucks back for it, you Amazing. know, and it got stolen out of my house in Dana Point and they recovered it in Florida. What? Yeah. Amazing. Oh, these people stole, oh, broke into my house and stole everything of value, which I didn't have that much, but that was... Sentimental, yeah. Oh, big time. I, I can't And believe, I got it back. I can't I mean, believe they found it in Florida. Oh, they caught it. like, how do they connect it back? Cards. Oh, okay. All right. So, gotcha. the only credit card I ever owned up at that point. Yeah, anyway. and um, Well, it's funny... When you're young, you need the cash. You know what I mean? So you get rid of these things that later in life are priceless, you know? And especially... I don't even want to talk about that. No, that's what... It's a shame, Did right? I get rid of that? Oh. It's such yeah. a shame. Imagine old cars. Yeah. You know, like um, Josh Martin, who connected you and I, told me that he has a customer in Northern Cal that's been buying boards from him, who was previously buying boards from his dad, mm -hmm. who recently sold josh back a board that his father had shaped for the customer i think i saw that what a great full circle that story though you no, know that that uh my dad worked for his dad in la and my grandfather used to own the one of the biggest cabinet shops in la and they built made the philco radios the, those giant floor model wooden radios and the tabletop ones but he said every one that he did like extremely good he put F Mart. Frank was his first name, but he put F Marts inside the. I would love to find one of those old Philco radios, you know, that had my dad's signature in it. For anybody listening, yeah, track hey, it down. F Marts. Anyway. So, are you saying Terry Martin worked for your dad or with your? No, dad? no, no, no. Oh, I'm just oh, no, oh, okay. no. But Terry, he was one of the first. Sonny Vardaman brought me down to to uh, Salt Creek to surf one day. And he goes, hey, you want to go down and surf with the big boys? You know, I'm like, I'd never been there, you know. And that was when you still had to pay a dollar to get in, you know. And, and uh, God, this place is cool. And after we got done, he goes, you want to meet some real surfboard guys? And he took me into Hobie's. And the first two guys that come out are Mickey Munoz and Terry Martin. And I didn't know that they were related. I didn't know that until, you know, maybe 10 years ago. But uh, anyway, so we talked and, and uh, so you're getting in the surfboard industry, you know, and Terry was talking to me and, and I go, yeah, I'm trying. And uh, anyway, five minutes later, we left. And two years later, I moved down to Dana Point, bought my first house. And I'm in the market that same day. And I run into Terry in the market and he goes, didn't we meet with, Var and, and he goes, you made it, didn't you? And I go, yep. And he goes, well, too late now. You're stuck. You know, it was <laughs> like, well, okay. So they're brother-in-laws, right? Right. Mickey and Terry. Yeah. Uh, did you know who they were when you met them? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, you had to. I mean, yeah. But I didn't know that they were connected, you know, right. you know that he married his sister. And 
So yeah. let's back up a little bit then. Um, obviously, you made your first board, kind of garage board with the kit. How did you get into board building as kind of a profession? <laughs> well, I was hanging out at Vardaman's in Huntington because I, I didn't have a car. You know, so I'd just go there and I had a friend that would hold my board, you know, or, and I just started hanging out there. And then uh, my mom moved from La Mirada to Belmont Shore and Sonny Vardaman lived in Belmont Shore. And I found out where he lived. I went over to his house one day and, hi, Sonny, remember me? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, hey, by the way, do you know how to make surfboards? I'm sure. I made one. Right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> And he basically goes, you're hired. I need a, a guy, you know, at my shop, which was in Long Beach at the time. Okay. Real interesting place. And it was like uh, right off the strip where all the, the hookers were. So, so I'd work at night because I went to school and it was like hookers would always be sticking. I'd be playing music, you know, and like more than once hookers stuck their head in the door. Hey, honey, you, you need a massage or anything? And anyway, it was just. Which part of Long Beach is that? The bad part. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it's the bad part. Like off Long Beach Boulevard? Yeah, or? off Long okay. Beach Boulevard. Yeah, okay. downtown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like one street off. You You're know, right. The, that is still the bad part. <laughs> no, it, it was pretty bad then. Yeah. A lot of it's been gentrified. Uh, so what? when did you start board building? Like what year? I'm trying to put how many decades do that you got under in, your belt at this point? Um, 68. So you've been at it 40 plus 40 plus years 49 well it was 49 yeah i quit a year ago okay why don't you go to 50 man it was Come like I, i'd done it i hit Ring a thousand, i hit a hundred thousand boards i figured 50 years or a hundred thousand what um were you actually keeping track of every board i just kind of averaged what i made Oh, okay gotcha and i've probably done more i doubt that i've done less than a hundred yeah i've probably done maybe a a thousand more now how many color boards and stuff i did no i, I yeah, can yeah. only guess at that but sure so still in the thousands so so you meet you're spending time with sunny and your glassing boards mm -hmm. that he's shaping yeah why did you uh or did you ever consider shaping as an option or building boards from i start wanted to, to be no i figured it out right this is when i was going to college and i was taking business classes and it was like making my mind think of what i really wanted to do and I wanted to be friends with all the shapers. So, I mean, shaping, I could do it. Uh, obviously, all you got... Now, anyway, <laughs> it's real easy to do. <laughs> so, was so. there a need? Was there a need for a glasser? Like, I, I'm thinking back when I think of that era, I think guys built boards from beginning to end. Were there actual glass houses that existed there that strictly glassed boards for no I mean, actually in the way there was the okay there was diamond glass i know that because that's who was glassing sunny's boards before he started doing it himself okay i think it was diamond and then uh i know there were one uh, miracle glass maybe that was another one that i kind of remember you know but then after i well anyway when i was working for sunny i got an opportunity to work for russell surfboards i'm like god yeah that's a step up so i quit Sunny, I ended up, there was a guy that I had been working with that could laminate almost as good as me. And well, not that that was any good, but <laughs> anyway, so I went to work for Russell and uh, 
I kind of let it go to my head, you know, wow, I'm in the surfboard industry. This is so cool. I mean, I can do anything I want. I can surf all the time. And anyway, I made the mistake of going to, well, going to Hawaii in the summer is kind of stupid anyway, but I went because a friend invited me and I took off a month in the middle of summer to go. It was actually in September Oh, okay. to go, you know, to Hawaii. And when I came back, there was no work. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had filled your shoes? No, no. It was just like, I it, I probably would have lost the work anyway, oh, okay. you know, because it was that time of year. But it was like, I always used to tease Russell, who was one of my best friends forever. And uh, every time I'd run into him, if he was with other people, I'd go, you know, Russell's the first guy that ever fired me. You know, and he's like... <laughs> so who were laminators at that time that you looked up to? Bobby Allen. Who did he work for? Russell. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And he had worked for, um, I think, Dewey Weber before that. And um, Bobby Allen, Spiritual Awareness, Basa. He's still over in, in, on Maui or Kauai. Oh, really? Yeah, he still makes boards. Oh, okay. Sleeps under the, the, the he sleeps in the resin on the floor. Do you still do that, Bobby? Oh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you're talking about shapers were not sharing information with one another. Were laminators at least friendly? Were you able to kind of use him as that's a mentor? That's how I got, that's how I, oh, he was really, yeah, he, he, we hit it off. So, and he was just another guy that knew more than I did. And, you know, as I branched out, I ended up, <clears throat> After I got fired, I lived behind the Gordy shop, which, oh man, anyway, that's a whole other can of worms. But working with Gordy, that, he is another craftsman. You just, you didn't do shit work, you know, or he'd, he'd boot you out. Yeah. You know, which he was constantly booting people out and doing all the work himself. Mm. So, And uh, I learned a lot from him, too, a yeah. lot. So you are um, kind of journeyman coming in and glassing boards for other people. Uh, I'm curious to hear about like, when does a glass house pop up that specializes like the Waterman's Guild does now in just glassing boards for other people that operates well, I mean, like as a, a remote place, South shore. I remember I, I used to work for, I'd work for, after I figured out you can hold more than one job. I started working for Bruce Jones who okay. would only do 10 a week. And for years, I mean, I always knew, how many boards I did for Bruce? 520 boards a year because I did 10 a week. Got it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like pretty easy to figure out. And it was like, oh, and I got $10 a board. Oh, so that means I made 5200 Yeah. Perfect. 10 bucks a board was pretty good then. Was it? Yeah. What were Everybody you... else wanted to pay 7 or 8 you know. Were you just laminating the board or were you sanding I it? Did, no, I did. I got into the sanding, didn't dig. No. I, I, I made... I got good at one thing, you know. I mean, I hot-coated too, put fins on a lot. Anything involving fiberglass and resin, that was what I wanted to specialize in. Uh, taking it off the board, the sanding it, no. Didn't, it didn't, it, it, too itchy. Didn't. Got it. Sorry, guys. It really affected me the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> so you're journeyman going around working for multiple different it's guys funny you said journeyman I, I mentioned that to one of my employees one time he he was getting big-headed about you know how good his work and i go dude you're only a journeyman and he got all pissed off and walked out and then he comes back a couple of days later and he goes well journeyman wasn't so bad that's like 
better than a beginner. I go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't understand. He went home, looked it up in the dictionary, yeah. <laughs> and then came back less offended. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, when did the Waterman's Guild get founded? 83. Okay. And I've been thinking about the name for a couple of years. I've been working with, I'd work, like I said, I've been working, oh God, I worked with all these guys. Tom, Tom Everly. Well, he used to have a place in, in uh, San Marcos and did all the lightning bolts, which one of the things I love to do the most, a lightning bolt gun that was, if I could go in and do like 10 a week right now, that's what I, I'd go back to laminating just. <laughs> really? What about it? Just makes me feel good. Because of what it represented in the water and the, yep. the era and yep. all that and stuff? the way it looks and, you know, it was like making a race car and just you know how good can you make this race car look and it's going to work obviously anyway it, it's just yeah I, I get really happy do thinking you get, about those do you is it strictly the lamination that you're excited about or do you like doing the resin work the color work i do no the color work nobody wanted to do color work and that's kind of what i started when i started laminating nobody did free laps everything was cut so i started getting good at cutting laps you know and it was like Vardaman, he'd point out, like, Greg, and even my dad, he would come in. He didn't know anything about, what kind of shit work is this? He'd look at, you know? It's like, especially like up at the nose where the, when you cut the lap, it makes this dark thing. He yep. goes, fix that. And he goes, well, I go, well, nobody else. Is, and he goes, Marts, we don't do stuff like that. Right. Figure it out. Make it look so it's like it bl- blends, you know? So to explain. Blaine, to kind of break it down for the listener, the lap is referring to the fiberglass that folds fiberglass over. Fiberglass lap, especially with color. So right. it folds over the rails onto right. the other side. Right. And now that would create two layers of fiberglass because you have what was previously there and then the folded over part. Right. And if there's color, you have double saturation. So you get a darker strip well, when right you, there. When you bring it together at the nose and the tail, it has a tendency to overlap. To fold over. To fold over. And it yeah. was just like most people didn't care that, that was there. Oh, oh, that's the way it goes. So what do you do to mi- prevent against it? You just cut a little notch cut it. in it? Yeah. yeah. Simple no, solution, mean, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like so simple. It's like ridiculous. And I was like, duh, most of the guys in the surfboard industry, they don't, it's like all they wanted to do was surf. Right. You know, they didn't care, you know, what kind of product they put out. I'm not saying all the guys, but, you know, I happen to hang out with guys that like to do it. And it was like, that's still the way it is now. I get to hang out with a lot of really cool people that really know how to do really nice stuff. And that, yeah. But it's a, yeah, it's a small, doesn't take a lot of time to do, Mm -mm. but it's a detail that people care about. Right. Because it. A lot of people can't see it. They don't care, really. Right. right. You know, I I care. And I figured, okay, if there's 5% of the people, okay, there's my market, you know. Yeah. So you're talking about doing the Eberly boards and doing the lightning bolt stuff. Tom Everly, wow. man, he was a. <laughs> Go ahead. No, he was one of the. <laughs> he was one of the hardest guys to work for, but it was. Uh, he really rubbed off on me. I, I made it hard for to work for me too. So it sounds like you either surrounded yourself or maybe just found yourself in position with perfectionists. That's the way. Dictated. No, it's, my dad told me that when I was a little kid. He goes, surround yourself with people that that like to do the same thing you do and do it as good or better than you do. Yeah. And make it rub off on you. And, and it was like, that's the kind of... But he always told me I can do anything I wanted to do. You can be anything. And it was like when I was younger, you know, like under 13, before I really started thinking about serving, I wanted to either... 
I wanted to either be a cowboy or a pirate. Okay. And it was like, I, I had gone to this one ranch for like three summers and was trying to be a cowboy. I found out being a cowboy wasn't riding horses all the time. I was, you know, doing all this other, you know, things on the ranch or the whatever. But, and then it was like, well, I can't do that. And then it was like, well, it can't be a pirate, but God, being a surfboard maker, that's kind of like being a pirate, you know? <laughs> I was going to say, you were born 100, too, 100 years too late for one and 200 years too late for yeah. the other. <laughs> so, no, I grew up, and it's like, nobody will know this unless you're older. I grew up watching pirate movies with Errol Flynn, and I, the pirate stuff now, it doesn't interest me, but... Johnny Depp isn't as cool as no, Errol Flynn? No, 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 no. Uh, by the way, you could still be a pirate. You could be a pirate in retirement. That I know. So that I, dream is still I, alive. One of the things I did when I, okay, I was a race director for the Prindle Catamaran for a couple of years when I was trying to decide whether I wanted, I almost became a hairdresser too. Anyway. <laughs> Imagine how your life would be different. No, it would no. What do you think of no this way. haircut, by the way? I, do you have any opinions? What? Should I, should I uh, take a little more off the top? I actually, time? um. Just go to Ray. Ray's, Ray's my okay. barber All in right. San Clemente. I'll find him. <laughs> anyway, um, no, that's why I didn't, like, people would go, well, what do you think might, no, it's just like people ask me, what kind of board do you think? I said, how the hell should I know? You know, and it's just like, what you want? Well, what kind of color would you, we're not talking me, we're talking you. Yeah. Anyway, I just, I always like making the best. Well, talking about working for perfectionists, um, I feel like the reason why a lot of people don't is because they have thin skin and they're offended. You know, it's like if he's Eberly's telling me I'm doing it wrong, F that guy. I don't want to work for that guy. And ultimately they, I did. Right. So no, I think I, if you have a thick enough skin, you can certainly benefit from it and then glean some of the the genius. You yeah. Know? No, I mean <laughs> I, I'm just thinking about some of the kids we're trying to hire nowadays, and it was like Nobody's ever talked to me like that before. I'm like, well, didn't you have parents? You know, didn't you do stupid shit? Yeah. And it was just like, nobody said anything bad. Right. Oh, you were one of those guys that got a trophy for just showing up? Exactly. Duh. Are you doing the Not hiring? my style. Are you doing the hiring still? I don't know. Oh, okay. But my son already, <laughs> no, my son, he, there's so much of me in him. I, I know he doesn't like to think that, but, well, maybe he does. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he does. Yeah, um, he won't admit it to you, even if he does. He does occasionally. I, I get it, and then it, then I cry. Dad, why are you crying? Because, God, you're my son. You're talking cool to me anyway. <laughs> Sentimental in your old age, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, are you were doing lightning bolt boards back in the eighties at yep. the Waterman's Guild? Yep. Okay. For who was shaping them? <sighs> Lots of people. I mean, I did a couple. I never, I've never met Jerry Lopez personally. Met him in the water a couple times, but um, I've done a couple of his boards. But mostly Rory Russell and anybody who else who was shaping for Lightning Bolt. You know, Jim Turner. Um, God, all kinds of people. I can't even think of all the guys. And if I started naming people, I'm going to leave out people. Sure. You know, but I mean, I've worked for Rusty. I've worked for Al Merrick. I've worked for. Larry McElhaney, Bruce Jones, and Hobie, and the Greek. Who else? Uh, Dave Parmenter, one of my favorite shapers right is there. He? Yeah. Why is that? I like the <laughs> best boards I ever rode. Really? Yep. Sorry, other guys. Anyway, <laughs> they work for me better than anybody else's I've ever, ever ridden. Have you spent a lot of time with him? Yep. Still one of my best friends. I just drove up to San Luis to pick up boards the other day. Nobody drives all the way up to San Luis. 
and then comes back the same day. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to ask you about that, actually, because as uh, I'm jumping ahead in the timeline, but as glassing houses have popped up over the years, they tend to service regional shapers, right? Mm-hmm. So you're in Southern California. It would make sense for you to glass boards for shapers who live in Southern California. That, that was my original plan. But when I came in in 83, it was like where I am in Santa Ana, that was basically, San Clemente was nothing. You know, it was just like, I've lived here for 42 years and it was it only became a surf thing in the last 20. Well, I mean, I've been doing it for, it was like, I tried to work here, but I could never get any work, you know? And so I I would, I would, I'd move my shop up to Santa Ana and I was basically in between Santa Barbara and San Diego. So I did Rusty's and Channel Islands. You would drive up. I was the, the first guy blanks. that would f- drive, you know, the thing. Yeah. Go up and pick up 20, 30, 40 boards, bring them back two weeks later and pick up more. Then people started figuring it out. Oh, if you're going to have a glass shop, you got to travel. Right. Yeah. Well, I traveled. Yeah. I so, remember driving up to Santa Barbara and then coming back and laminating 10 boards the same day. And then driving them back up? No, not oh, the same day. Oh, okay. That was the next day. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I told, I think I mentioned to you previously, you guys glassed a Parmenter 12-foot paddle surf vehicle for me just last month. Yeah. The Waterman's Guild. That's what I heard. Yeah. I surfed it for the first time, actually, last weekend. And it fell apart, right? Piece no. of crap, dude. <laughs> Thing buckled on my first go. Waves aren't even big. Um, I've had when you I've had guys come in that don't I mean I kind of knew them but they don't they didn't know how to shape a board and I had always learned that it was like especially from Dave Parmenter and Bruce Jones it's like you take the littlest amount of foam off like he skins the top Bruce used to do this too then it would still leave some of the texture of the paper you know and the boards would come out really nice and hard well then other guys would go in an inch and it was like you could blow on the foam and dent it, you know. Yeah. They go here, put three layers of ten ounce on it, and then they bring it back two days later. Look at what you did to my. And I'm like, you're the one who shaped it. What's that got to do? Yeah. Well, you shaped it wrong. This is actually important to discuss because while a lot of the podcast is just talks talking story, I want to make sure to kind of let listeners understand what goes into board construction. I think there's a lot of misinformation and I think people are just too embarrassed to ask sometime what we're talking about. So what you're talking about specifically is the blank from the factory is hardest on its skin. Yeah. And it kind of loses, let's say, per- hardness well, and I mean, density. I'm talking about, I, mean, I don't know about all the blanks nowadays, but when Clark was making them, that was... Right. Clark knew what the fuck he was doing. I'm sorry about that. Anyway, he so, they, they knew what they were doing, and it was like the 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 higher to you know the the less that you'd go into the blank, the harder the foam is going to be, so the stronger your surfboard is going to be. And it was like those are the only people that I wanted to work for the guys that saw it that way. So what if you want to get a they surfboard might work look better too? Yeah, like I was a strong laminator. No, I just work for people that know how to shape. So if somebody wanted to take three inches off the blank, they might do one and a half off the deck, one and a half off the bottom, and subsequently get a softer finished blank. Oh, big time. What you're talking about is, no, no, no. Take 
you know, eight inches off I mean, the a, bottom a frac- yeah. and skim the top skim. just to leave the core. It's still got to be a little bit. The skin bit, yeah. on the top, yeah. Or as close as you can get. I as mean, close as you can get, within right. reason. I so, mean, if you're going to do a color on it, yes, you better get all that stuff off of it. But if it's just a clear. Right. You know. Because the color won't saturate the skin so right. much. No, it just doesn't look right. You know, I mean, it's got to be all sanded right. That's another thing. All those guys. That, no, never mind. Anyway. So what I'm. So one thing that I actually wanted to ask you is, with all of those boards that you're talking about, all those iconic, everything from Lightning Bolt to Parmenter to the Merricks and the Rusties, when a board come, when a shaped blank comes into your factory, can you look at it and tell whether or not it will go in the water? Can you tell a good shape from a not good shape? Uh, no. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, if it was some guy who didn't know how to shape, but I mean, anybody that knows, like the people you just said, the boards look fine to me. I I mean, I can't ride every board. But you you're know? saying when you take it in the water, the parmenters perform the best. That was for there's, me. But there's nothing visually to your eye that will indicate that? His were like way flatter, less rocker than most people's. And everybody was getting into rocker, and I'm like, oh, no, I, was, I was a firm believer that the more, you know, surface wetted surface you have in the wave the faster you're going to go i mean if if you got a six foot board and there's only two feet of it hitting the water how yeah how are you going to go i mean right. it it's it if it was six foot it would be at least four and a half feet in the water you know i, yeah. I don't know that's the way that, that that dave maybe i'm not explaining it right but they, they worked yeah you know and it was like you could tell immediately you mm. know and at least for me yeah. And I mean, I, I could surf. I wasn't a champion surfer. I could surf with a lot of the really good guys. And, you know, I had my days. Sure. You know, and it was just like I, I knew what I wanted. And when I, every time I get a board from Dave, I, it's like if it worked really good, some of them didn't work, you know. But more of his did, I'd get three or four of them and just store them. In fact, I've still got like six in my garage that I have never even ridden. So Really? Yeah. Holy cow. But I'd take them places like Costa Rica. Instead of bringing them back and screwing them up, just leave them it. down there. Leave them down in Cabo, you know, and wherever I went, if I was going to go back again, I'd leave the board. Plus, you didn't have to pay for it to ship it the next time, you know? Right, right, right. And have it be ruined. Yeah. Right. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. 
and you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, so as you, when you started the Waterman's Guild, was it just a one man operation or did you bring on, you obviously had to bring on I Sanders. Three, I had three and, other guys with me. Okay. How many employees do you have now? I think there's eight. Okay. But back then we were only doing, I mean, we we're doing a bit of colors, but it was like me and Brian and God, who was, I had my sander glosser and a hot coater and it, actually it was three for a while. Okay. You know, then we started doing more boards and it was like, there was a time there where, where I think it was like 20 years or more. We never even touched a color board. Really? Because nobody wanted them? Nobody wanted them. Well, then, the when, other thing, nobody well, remembered how to do them. So Really? And that was when, like when things started changing again, maybe uh, 20 years ago, I can't, I, I don't know. Bruce Jones came up to me one day and he goes, Greg, you're the only guy I know that can do the color, you know, that I want. And he goes, everybody else is either dead or they quit doing it. And all the new guys, nobody even knows what. And I, I knew there were a couple of guys. There were, you know, guys down at Moonlight, you know, Gary Stuber and, and uh, got a couple. Of, I know a couple of other guys, but um, they remembered because they they had done it. You know, and it was like when the colors started coming back in, I'm like, oh, this is great. Well, for listeners, it sounds, what is the challenge? I mean, it sounds like, well, don't you just add some color to the resin and. Ain't that easy. Color changes the so break viscosity. It, 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 uh, I like to mix my own colors, you know, with, from the basic colors. I Where mean, do you get the colors? Just from the resin distributor. I mean, can you. I think listeners are interested to know no, brands. I mean, brands like, do you want the for? actual... Yeah, what brands do you use? I don't even know the brands because they come from different countries. Most oh. of it is from India, the really good stuff. I mean, I get my colors from... Uh, I don't even want to say which companies I buy them for okay. from, but because um, I can't remember them right now. Anyway, but I would think that there are quality There are colors indicators. that you can get, but I, I mean, and they already have colors that are pre-mixed. Which I won't use. I mean, so you, you just get primary colors. I get the primary colors, you know, and then mix your own. Mix my own, and it was like um, one of the funny things. It's like you know, and you have to have a a Pantone chart, you know, just because everybody's oh, I know, I, I hated it when the day when the surf shops got the Pantone charts and they go, oh well, we want twenty seven oh five B, you know, and I was like, I'm looking, I'm like, how the hell am I supposed to do that? And I started doing it. Well. After years of looking at the Pantone chart, it's like on one side, there's pints and quarts that you mix to get the colors. Well, that doesn't apply to me. No. So I never bothered to look at the right side of the thing where it said percentages. (laughs) 
Uh, I remember walking into my, and this is after I've done like thousands of boards, you know, and mixing colors in my head and getting them so close to these things. And I, I walked into my son one time and, and uh, I told him, uh, I go, man, I, I love, because I love telling him how stupid I am sometimes. Because <laughs> sure he, he likes that. to point it out anyway. And I'm like, yeah, hey, yeah. you think I'm stupid? Here, check this out. And I go, for 20 years, I've been using this damn Pantone chart and I never bothered to look over at the other side. And he, well, he used a Pantone chart as well for his airbrushing. He airbrushes as well as laminating. And he goes, give me that. And he looks and he goes, I never looked at that side either. No way. <laughs> <laughs> Would have solved all your headaches. After it happened, I mean, it's so much easier. I mean, I already knew how to mix most of the colors. Well, this broadened the horizons even more. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, yeah. Um. So what are the difficulties in working with color then? You mentioned the viscosity changes. What what are explain I mean you gotta well explain that it work. Somebody's gonna want their board shaped or glassed from the Waterman's Guild. Yeah. For this reason, because you guys go through this extra effort. What is the effort? We get people that know how to shape for one thing, you know, and it was just like if if they don't shape them right, the color's not gonna look right. Oh, okay. Right? Scratchy blanks make in fact, it looks like you're the one who scratched it. No, that was the shaper. So if whoever. the blank comes in with an imperfection in it, the uh, yeah, color it shows saturates up. It into just, it. You want it to be perfect, you okay. know, and it's like it's got to be sanded perfect. It's, okay. You know, it's got got to be done right. And everybody wants to do colored boards, but nobody wants to pay. I well, mean, so what's luckily the added- we have people that do, but they're... The people that don't, I'm just like, get the, f- yeah, whatever. So what's the added work that goes into it for that added cost? Well, you got to tape them off. You got and it was like, we don't use rail cutters. I don't know if you know what a rail, instead of doing them by eye, which is the way, first I learned how to use the rail cutter, but <clears throat> the more I learned from different guys, it's like, I don't want to be cutting in the foam all the time. Oh, because the tool that you use right. kind it of would, creates would, a mark it, on the foam? It would put a, like a... You might as well hoe, you know, some dirt, you know. I mean, okay. that's what it looks like. So you're dragging this tool along the rail of the board to cut the to proper get, length of to cloth? Get, well, to get the, the the same size lap all Got the way it. around. Well, I started, I didn't just start it, but I mean, I learned from other guys to tape off by eye. And after you do it, I mean, it's hard, but after you do like 100, it's like, psh, this is a piece of cake. Sure. You know, so it, nobody wants to go past 100. They're oh, well, that's so hard. I'm not even going to try and do it, you know? Yeah. And that's where most people and the guys that cut with rail cutters, they can't do it. Yeah. But their work still looks good, but if they've they got can... that cut. And it was like, if you cover it with a pin line, that covers it up. That's fine. But our work, I like to do it to where, in fact, I delivered some boards to Stewart today. And I was just like, man, they look just like I did them. You know, it was like. Mm-hmm. They were perfect. No cuts into the foam. Just it's beautiful. Everything was just done. I like it. Anyway, makes me feel good. Well, that's when I took photos of that board that you guys glassed for me. I sent them up to Dave. And those are the things that he mentioned, too. He's like, dude, that thing looks so good. He's like, the color looks perfect. The lap looks perfect. He knows what's going on. And I, I gave him such a hard time. It's like, Dave, I can't do color on your boards unless you know how to shape them right. <laughs> and I like and shapers don't want to hear that, but I've known him long enough. So I, I got a couple stories. I bigger guys than him that I don't even want to relate anyway. Um, but no, he was doing the the channel bottoms, and I'm yeah. like going, Dave. It's like you know, most of the guys that are shaping the channel bottoms, it's like they just here's the channel bottom here, glass it, and I'm like, well, 
dude, you got hard edges everywhere. So what? Well, it creates bubbles where the hard edge is. You know, it has to be cleaned out just a little bit. And they go, well, so what? What's the deal? Fill it, fill the bubbles. Well, if you fill the bubbles, then when the guy comes to sand it, all he does is sand through the cloth into the bubble and you got a board that's going to fall apart on the channels. And anyway, so Dave learned how to, and I'd still, hey, Dave, by the way, I still go over the boards when I do yours. So <laughs> <laughs> Shaped by Dave Parmenter and Greg Martz. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, Greg. Believe it or not, most, there's a lot of guys, it's just, you got to. Got to do it once over. Yeah, you go over them. You know, it's just like, I'm not going to laminate this, you know, with the way it is. And hmm. I mean, we used to get boards from guys in Hawaii, I ain't saying no names, but they'd leave corduroy rails. I mean, it's like laminating corduroy. Okay, there's grooves. Those grooves have to be filled up with resin, so there's no bubbles. Well, that takes more resin than if the the rail is like totally smooth and no grooves to fill right. in, you know. And it's like, well, that anyway. Well, no, not. I, I mean, let's get into it a little bit because my original question about quality, I think you just touched on a lot of it. In a perfect scenario, you get this foam and you want a really tight, strong, and light, ideally, lamination right. on this foam. And what I think every surfer has experienced is you get delamination sometimes. The delamination comes from some of those imperfections in the lamination where there is a pocket of air or a bubble or something. Flotation cell. That's what we call them. Flotation cell. No, it's a, that's a joke. Okay. <laughs> Trying to make a technical Sounds better turn. than bubbles. <laughs> right, exactly. So you get this small little bubble that was in the manufacturing process that then gets air and begins the delamination process, it right? It does, yep. So when we're talking about quality, we are specifically talking about tight, light, strong lamination, Tight correct? and, okay, the way I learned how to laminate, it's basically... 50% resin, 50% fiberglass, or even less resin if you can pull it off without getting, you know, because everything has to be wet out properly. And that was one of the things that I learned how to do. I made light boards, so. So too much resin will mean brittle, right? Extremely brittle. And how I used to explain that to people, it was just like, it's like, I mean, you can have four inch thick cement, and if it's soft underneath it, eventually it's going to crack. I mean, if it's just soft sand, it's the same with, you could put all this, I, I can make the fiberglass bulletproof. Yeah. But if the core is soft, it's always going to dent. Right. And it's, so you have too much resin, it becomes brittle. Not yeah. enough resin, I think that's pretty obvious. It's just not strong. Right? No. I mean, it so has to be need, totally saturated. You can't have any dry spots in it. That's with it. Yeah. So you need full saturation with yep. the right amount of resin. Yep. And then when you're talking about, we were talking about quality in regard to color, that just means even saturation of color throughout, yep. right? Yeah. And that's pretty much the nuts and bolts. That's it. Yeah. And then once it is laminated, which is your job, where does it go from there? Then it goes to the hot coater, that fill coat. So what's the fill coat? Fill coat is a coat of resin. It's very similar to, well, it's resin, and but it has wax surfacing agent in it, which creates a little wax finish. Now, if you went to sand just the regular laminating resin, it's sticky, and it would gum up your sandpaper. You'd use 100 sheets of sandpaper to sand a board. Okay. You could do it, but, and if you coat it with a really thin coat of, of 
you know, hot coat resin, fill coat resin, um, then you can just sand it. And it's like, only takes like two or three pieces of sandpaper. Okay. You know, and, it, and, and then from there, it just depends. I mean, we used to gloss all the boards. Gloss boards are the best. I don't care what anybody says. They might be a little bit heavier, but they last a hell of a lot longer. Do they? Oh. So it's not just it, an aesthetic? No, it, no, I mean, it's you're totally sealing everything for one thing. And is the Which gloss is, coat a resin as well? Yeah, and okay. it's a different kind of resin. It's a little bit harder resin, you know, and it's obviously a really thin coat, but it seals the whole board. And it's like, I've got boards that I've done, like when I first started, you know, what, 35 years ago, I wouldn't do a sand-only board. Everybody wants sand-only. And mm-hmm. it was like, well, you want your board to fall apart? But I've done boards for people that, I made them gloss them. Maybe we wet sanded it afterward, but it was glossed. Okay. Well, 30 years later, these boards look like they're almost brand new, except really? for the color of them, you know? Okay. But, I mean, it's like they hold up. Yeah. And it's like I've seen it happen. And it it's like it's just neat to see, you know, wow, my board hold up that long? Yeah. No, in fact, uh, Cole, Coleman Simler. Hey, Cole. Anyway, he shaped a board for uh, Matt Archibald years ago. And he posted a picture of it, and damn, the thing was taken care of. The only thing that was different is it wasn't white. Sure. It was this cream color, you know, but it was like I got, I posted the picture of it, and I got more hits off that, you know, I'm like, I remember, God damn, I make stuff really strong, you know? Yeah. And Archie rides hard, I know. He's not taking it easy. I still get to see him. He lives up the street from... From uh, the donut shop that I like to go to. Oh, does he? Well, the coffee shop, yeah. yeah. Surfing donuts. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, um, so if a listener isn't able to get a board glassed from the Waterman's Guild, but let's say they live wherever in Australia and they're just going into a local retailer to buy a board, what are some things that they can look for? They want to see rhino laminating. Juan <laughs> <laughs> T. Cross. What are some things that they could look for to indicate that they're going to get a quality board? Obviously, a gloss coat, if it has a glossy finish. They, I mean, that that's would be not. Indicate. I mean, if you want it to last longer, <clears throat> okay. that's one of the main things. There's good laminators all over the place now. You know, I mean, it's like in France, I know of a, quite a few over there, quite a few in Australia. A couple of my friends from here live over there now. You know, they've taken the, you know, the stuff over there. There's a lot of guys in Hawaii still, yeah. you know. It's like that thing I said about Hawaii with the corduroy rails. That was years ago, sure. guys. Okay, anyway. just Well, is there anything that people can look for? As an indicator, once it's on the rack, what do they look for with the eye or maybe with the feel? I, I don't know. I can walk up and... I mean, I can be 20 feet away from a board and tell if I did it or not. What do you look for? I just can tell. Really? I mean, it's like certain people do certain things a certain way. And it was like, if, like I said, I can tell, okay... The boards I said I delivered to Stuart today, or some of the ones I did delivered to Dave, I look at them and I'm like, at least, I mean, that's the way I would have made mine look. But hell, they work for me, so they better make them look like that way. But that's what makes them feel good too. Yeah. Everybody that works for me feels good. I guess what's interesting to me is like, um, I could talk to Dave about what will make, uh, let's say, a uh, 6.3 go faster, right? And then I'll Stop go, vector. And that's, then, no, that's what he said. <laughs> but then I'll go talk to Mayhem, 
and Hill, and they'll both give me different answers. Yep. There might be some overlap, but they both have very different answers. And the reality is they're both right. And that's both what's cool about... Sir, I mean, it's- but that's not true for laminators. For laminating, it's kind of like there's a right way to do it, and there's an incorrect way to right. do it. You know, And so that's kind of interesting. There's a lot more, I think, science in the laminating process and well, the glass. More than process. people would think, that's for sure. Yeah. There's a lot less... Uh, other than the color work, less, I would say, free kind of artistry that you can explore, you know? Um, it seems to be stick within these parameters. And within these parameters, you're welcome to explore, express something. Yeah. But stick to these Well, I mean, things. we've always, I mean, it was like when we started doing abstracts. That was like, God, first year I started doing stuff for Russell, second year. And Bobby Allen told me how to do an abstract. I'm like, Really? You know, we used to do them on the foam then. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, more so. But then it was like, I, I've seen some that I did on the foam. Fades to nothing. You can barely see it now. Oh, really? You know, it just, you know. But if it's in the cloth, it'll hold up a little bit longer. And Okay. But that that's how I kind of got started doing my, um, the resin art that I'm doing now, which I, I've been doing it for like 40 years, but I just didn't feel the time was right and blah, blah, blah. And. Um, Robin Cagle got to Heroi. He was doing some boards, and uh, I think I was getting paid a hundred bucks to do these elaborate, you know, abstract. And I'm like, going, wow, that's that's pretty good money." And then I, <laughs> they were selling them for like a thousand bucks more just because the abstract was on the board, you know. And I'm like, going, "Wait a minute, what <laughs> am I missing out on here?" And so I, anyway, I started making some art and um, stuff that I'd done before. And I've done fairly good at it. You know, I, I go off and on and I'm wanting to do it. But um, are you doing them on um, on foam or I do? I what's do, the medium? I don't even really want it. It's on wood or foam. OK. Yeah. Is it wrapped in fiberglass? Some are. OK. I'm going to keep product. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> people, it's like people see so, it. And after I had my show. And I'm not saying that I, the one that started it, but I had a show at Hurley and sold a whole bunch. And then people came in and all of a sudden the next day, there's like 20 more resin artists, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, wow, you touch resin once and all of a sudden you're an artist. You know, I mean, I knew they knew colors and other, sure. you know, art, you know, like painting and stuff. But no, and it was like, I've, I've gone into uh, a couple of uh, art galleries thinking, you and they go, oh, another resin artist. And I go, I'm not just another one. I mean, I kind of you're the Jackson been, Pollock I've resin been, artist. I've been called that too. That's what's so really funny. <laughs> but you are Jackson Pollock was the first artist that I saw, like that I remembered. My dad took me to the art museum in L.A. one time when I went to a work thing. I, in the fourth grade, I had to go to work with my dad, and he took me to the art museum. Jackson Pollock was who I saw. And that hit me in the head and I'm just like, God, I just, I remembered it. And it was like, I just wish I could do art like him. I mean, the, some of the stuff that he did, I mean, he'd do canvases that were like 30 by 40. That's the thing. The scale is so impressive. But he'd cut out a 10 by 10 piece that looked really good, you know, yeah. out of that, which I can't do on mine, you know? You could. I mean, with... Well, with photography, like- Yes. Yeah. No. Well, I was thinking even with, if you're working with wood or even foam, you could do a giant piece the, the, and then cut it out. It's not that easy. It's not that easy. It ain't that easy. So, and people, this- you, all you guys that are doing stuff on canvas, wait till it warps and 
yeah. <laughs> whatever. Canvas doesn't work good with resin for any length of time. So you're talking about these are um, square-shaped pieces that people can hang on their wall? Yeah. Got it. Biggest one I've done is uh, four feet by six feet. Okay. That was hard. Yeah. Because they have a tendency to warp. In fact, all the older ones that were done, there was a couple guys in Hawaii that were doing them over there that actually were doing them. I can't remember the names. Uh, anyway, but they started around the same time I did, but like in a whole different planet, you know? I didn't, yeah. I never saw any of their stuff. Right. And, you know, guys will guys will see my art and they go, oh, well, that's like this guy. You're copying it. And I go, no, we're both surfboard laminators. And it's like, if you do color work, on surfboards, I mean, that was one of the things. It's like I'm, I'm doing 10 boards a day with different colors, some of them with three or four different colors, abstracts. Everything falls on the floor. Mm -hmm. Can you, I mean, I some days I'm like, I could sell that floor for 10 grand, you All know, but I couldn't. I, and then the next day it's gone. Right. It's a whole different thing. And I go, I want to start doing something with that, you know, and, and it was like that was when... Uh, well, anyway, the, the CEO of Nike came into the shop with Bob Hurley one day, and he loved my art, put it on a couple art shows for me. That's how I got started. That's what I was going to ask you. Where, do you. where are you displaying this stuff? How are you advertising it? I don't um, advertise. I don't, I don't promote myself well. I know. I was going to say, <laughs> I knew that was the wrong word as I was saying it, but you do. How do you um, showcase this stuff? I, I was in a couple, okay, those art shows that I was in, I think I, I made like 35 paintings and I sold 28 of them. And I'm like, what, really? And um, and probably for more higher prices than you not, sell surfboards No, uh, No, yeah, than surfboards, yeah. Surfboards are low dip. No, I mean, and people kept telling me, Greg, some of these things you could sell for 10 grand if you went to yeah, New York. To the right person. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going, that's not what I'm, I mean, it's like, as long as I'm making more money than I made in surfboards, which that ain't hard to do. Sure. You know? <laughs> exactly. You don't get into surfboards if you want to make money, people. You got to work your ass off for that. So, yeah. um, it, it, um, anyway, I, I just like, my biggest thrill, I was just telling a couple of artist friends of mine, I go, my biggest thrill is like seeing the people when they hang it and they send me a picture of where it is. I mean, that gets me, you know, and like some of them, I just, I gave it to them because I know that they wanted one, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it was like, I get a bigger thrill out of that than the money. I I don't know if that sounds right, but no, it, it makes feels perfect, good to me. It so. makes perfect sense. And it's why you start doing boards in the first place yep. because it's people want it and they use it and they're appreciative of it you know yeah you're definitely not doing that for money either no um, and i mean i i i did really well you know i had good guidance and stuff you know and i bought a house in san Clemente, what 40 43 years ago now and i got neighbors moving in they're going we finally got our our house in san Clemente with the ocean view and oh do we paid you know blah 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 and i'm like looking at my yeah. What? Yeah, I paid eighty for mine. You know, <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Their car that they're driving is more than that. Oh you know? no, I'm I'm like, and it was like everybody that moves in and and they think they're entitled. I don't know. It's just kind of a. It's a different time, and that actually segues perfectly to the next question that I had queued up for you, which is how in what are the biggest ways that your business has changed over those forty years, like. The surfboard industry is entirely different now than it was when you started the Waterman's Guild. I guess not fully 40 years ago now. 
Um, well, thirty. Well, I opened in '83, so it's thirty-five, thirty-fifth anniversary this go. year. So, right. but I mean, yeah, it's basically the same. I mean, the market's changed a lot. You're still you're making boards. You know, it's obviously everything's changed with the China thing and. You know, but again, they don't know how to make the kind of quality that, you know, it's not, it's still a, it's still a damn glass shop and they've still got guys that, that really want to make good product. And I, I, you know, there's other things that I, I never got into. I could have got into the t-shirts and the, which we do make t-shirts, but, um, no, I could have branched off into the clothing thing, you know, like a lot of people did. Stussy really did a good job at that. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess. I have to imagine that there's been threats to your business over the years at different times. Every business I would think goes through challenges. Are there any threats to your business now that you recognize or that feel like a threat? Not, not, I mean, I was first thinking about the EPA, you know, like uh, that's how Clark went out. He just didn't want to deal with the people anymore. And I've been so long at my place right now. It, nobody's going to bother me. I'm grandfathered in, you know, a new shop. It, if they do it, that's the other thing. We're totally legal. I don't know how many, what the percentage is, but there's a great percentage of surfboard manufacturing facilities that don't pay workman's comp. My guys get five paid days a year, at least, you know, sick leave. This is how come I have to, and I still, it's really hard maintaining. That's the one thing, yeah. Trying to maintain, you know, the quality we are, well, not hard to maintain the quality but get the money we should be getting paid you know to maintain that quality that's what's hard that's a good point i mean it's expensive to run a business in southern california yep. period it doesn't matter what type of business you are but if you are dealing with chemicals like you guys are yep. there's a lot of additional regulations and expenses oh workman's comp is insane is it yeah so i mean like like one of the well it's like we're at the high end of you, know, you might as well be a deep sea diver. Of course, those guys are way higher in yeah, yeah, dangerous, yeah. but it's dangerous. Yeah. And if you don't do it right, well, we do it right. So, you know, well, proper ventilation and, you know, we I take care of the guys. I don't just like, you know, send a, whatever. I, I, I've always followed the rules of the city and, you know, the fire department. And I know. So that's something that I want to highlight, though, is, with the conversation about Asian made boards versus domestic made and all that, mm -hmm. I feel like the conversation gets confused a lot of times because it's not just about, it's not like, Hey, I want an American worker to have a job and not an Asian uh, worker to not have a job. It's not that at all. It's that I know that it, your facility is held to a certain standard of regulation. Everybody has to surf that works for me too. Well, you, Oh, okay. You have but, to know what you're making and sure, why sure, you're making sure, sure. it. Yeah. But also your employees and your business practices are held to a certain level of regulation that I can feel good about. I know that it's not um, underage labor or poor ventilation or whatever that I can go, okay, if I'm paying an extra five or 10% or whatever, it's because the workers are able to provide for their families. I don't families. even get to the charge that to 5 or 10%. You, you have know? to compete with the lowest. I have to compete yeah. with guys that don't pay, you know, workman's comp. They don't take taxes out of their, their employees' wages, right. you know. And it's right, just right, like, right. I got to do all that. Right. 
And it's like, if anybody complains about the price, I'm like, basically the finger to you because I'm not really making millions, you know, millions of pennies, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's not, it's not, no, my end is really hard. Yeah. And there's, there's. But I think that's what people get confused about with that conversation. It's not just U.S. versus whoever. It's that, well, no, the US, we do things responsibly. For mm-hmm. the most part, we try to anyways, you know, if you're living above the law, yeah. living w- within the law. So um, you're saying, though, that it's also a requirement of employees that they have to actually surf? You better know something, yeah. I mean, I've had a couple guys that we hired that didn't surf. They'd surfed once or twice. And I go... Better start getting in the water. These are a couple of guys, and they started getting good, but then all of a sudden they started getting good surfing, and they figured the surfing was more important than the job mm-hmm. that what that I hired happens. them for. Yeah, yeah. And it's like they started missing, yeah, like the typical. Anyway, it's like, oh, the surf's good, right? Oh, f you, buddy. You know, it's just orders. like the work comes first, right? Surf's always going to be there. The work isn't always going, and that's the other thing. It's like when there's work, you better work your ass off. Yeah. Don't be taken off like I did that summer. <laughs> <laughs> that lesson that you learned is still. Oh man, you, did I learn that? You're big beating time. it into your employees still. Yeah, to this day. no, I mean, I didn't take another summer vacation for God, twenty years. That's so. You know, funny, like dude. voided all my, you know, kids' vacations, and it was like if I wanted to go on a vacation during the summer, it was a three day, three day weekend. You know. Yeah, yeah. They go out to Havasu, and I'd oh, well, I'll fly out and meet you for two and a half days. You know, and yeah. That was, yeah. Do you think that there's any other general misconceptions that the surfing public has that they're misinformed about with board building that you want to kind of correct or clarify? I really don't know what, what conception. I don't read any of the surf magazines anymore. <laughs> I just. I was going to, that's actually on my list of stuff too, is uh, how closely do you follow surfing at this point? Are you inspired by I surfing? still get, no, no, I'm, I'm not. None of that. I'm, I, no, I mean, it's like I lived it. I, I've been there. I, I I can't surf anymore. My knees don't work, you know, the way I want to surf on a shortboard. So for the last two years, I haven't surfed. But wow. I'd, hell, I'm 70 anyway. I mean, I know there's guys that are 70 that do it, but walking around on that floor, you know, for 49 years. And in fact, that's when I finally decided to quit. I was like I was doing a board for Parmenter and my son goes, Hey dad, the, the, the lap hit the rail. You had to go over and fix it. And I was over fixing, not even doing anything, just standing there fixing the lap. And I started slipping on this wet resin that hadn't dried yet. And I started slipping and, you know, okay, no, that's like 10,000 times I've done that, recovered from that. And then all of a sudden I started slipping the opposite way and I grabbed one of the laminating racks and I went down the opposite way I thought I was going to go and it ripped my muscle off my, my yes. right arm, my yes. good arm. And, and, um, uh, yeah, my bicep from my elbow. And, yes. uh, it was the first time in 48 years that I'd had an injury, you know, that where I was out of work and I was out of work for six months. Wow. And, um, could have probably done it in five months, but it was just like, I did, I'm 68. I'm, yeah, I'm kind of done, you know, with not surfing. Um, that kind of kills me sometimes. Do you watching. Miss it? Yeah, I do. What? Not the crowds. No, not at all. Sure. No. But uh, what do you miss about it? Just the camaraderie. I mean, geez, when I first moved down here, you could go down to Trestles and surf by yourself. That can't do that anymore. Every once in a while, you might be able to, but 
Yeah. You know, and it's like trails. I used to surf trails all the time, you know, 20 years ago. I don't know how many sharks were out there. I'm sure they were there. But I was there. Yeah. I could look either way a mile and not see anybody but me. I, ain't no way I'm doing <laughs> Have you Have you found anything as a replacement for surfing that allows you to kind of just get away and... Well, I can't skateboard either, but no, I do other things, outdoor things. I'm, I'm. What have you found as a replacement? It's not a replacement. It's just something else that I, you know, I'd love to be going out and riding horses, but then I've got like a neighbor who's almost my age has just got tossed from his horse and a couple other friends who bought horses, they've been tossed. Ah, don't want to do that. It's physically taxing yeah. too. Yeah, and to I, my, I just started riding my bike again. I had my knees done too, not, I had the stem cell. Really? Which is okay for younger people like you know anyway mine i'm saying they improve 50 percent the pain but when you still got 50 percent pain it yeah it wears on you after a while you know yeah ah mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. I haven't talked to anybody who's had that procedure it, it, i've talked to several people before i did it so that's an know. alternative to replacement to yeah. knee replacement and i know I, I talked to too many people that had knee replacements that uh, one of my neighbors has already had three knee replacements yeah. he only got two knees <laughs> i'm like come on and i still walk faster than he does yeah i mean even in the best case scenario the knee replacement isn't a great option either so there's got to be a I'm just trying to figure out what what's going on yeah. with you know with with life and stuff. So um, yeah, um, I want I still want to do stuff and I like stand up paddleboarding. I can do it. You can. I, yeah, I just need to do it more. So yeah, yeah. So in regard to surfing, you're not doing the act anymore. Do Here's you, the other thing. You, Last year, I lost my wife. That killed me for doing anything. Zapped for, your for will. Like, huh? Zapped your will to. Would I didn't do art. I didn't do nothing for nine months. You know, right. and it was like before that, I was kind of watching her fade away, and it was like that was when I wasn't as active as I could have been. And well, now I'm able to be active, and it's it's hard at this age to get back into it. And I think I'm doing it. You know, so. Well, I'm curious. I think listeners might be able to benefit from hearing how you dealt with that. What did you? Um, help what helped get you out of that funk and that depression friends in a nutshell yeah and it was like i didn't i knew i had a lot of friends but that made me know how many real friends i had i mean a lot i mean it was like i would think there would there would it was like i've still got guys calling me you know like at least once a week checking up on me you know before it was like every other day you okay you know, it's like, God, I just told you yesterday I was okay, you know, and it was like just knowing that people really care and you're not the only one. And I didn't want to go to one of any of those groups, you know, and be around a bunch of sad people. So I, I just hung out with my friends and, you know, there were days I didn't even want to leave the house. 
I think that would be the default is you don't want to leave and you, you're not going to answer the call when your friend even does call. Yeah. And it compounds it being a male. I think you don't want to intrude on your friend. So even if you know your friend is going through something and they're depressed, my instinct is like, oh, give him space. He might need space that, right that now. That was, uh, I wondered about some of my friends, you know, that I, and, and that was their reasoning and i go okay their heart's in the right place. i can deal with that yeah. you know because they didn't know what to say or how i was going to react to it and i i didn't well now i know how it is so i mean when somebody does what i just did or lost somebody i'm there i mean it's like I'll, you're gonna know that i care you know it's just like i'm i'm not gonna wait six months until oh you know i would have done this but you know no I, I know now you know it's like if, if something like that happens then speak up you know because yeah, yeah. you, you and, you know, they're only trying to be, you know, good to you, too. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, you know, was... you remember an hour ago when you told me the reason you got into laminating? I've been here an hour? Okay. <laughs> the reason you got into laminating instead of shaping. Yeah. Was because you wanted to talk with everybody. Right. You wanted to have those I wanted friends. to have my friends, you, want, you know. And it was like my friends it is, are full shapers. circle. Now in this last yeah. year, the way that you've gotten through that is through connecting with human beings, yep. you know, through yep. human No, I mean, it was like 90% of the people are from the industry too. So, yeah, no. And I just, yeah. Um, quite a, quite a detour right here, but how closely do you follow professional surfing at this point in your career? You said not you're not reading all. magazines. Not you're not at all. No, nope. don't watch nope. the contests. I, yeah. Yeah. I still get excited about some of the stuff. Yeah. Who's your favorite surfer to see? I don't, I got none. Really? Okay, who? Wait a minute. He got attacked by the shark and he fought him off. Mick Fanning. Yes. He just retired too. Good for him. You and Mick Fanning are on the same career trajectory. Okay, no. You both retired <laughs> at the same time. No, I, I mean, there's a whole bunch of guys. I mean, Kelly's. He's Kelly. He's like he's the best. So what? No, I um I like the local kids. You know, I mean, when I first moved to San Clemente, forty two years ago. Dino and Dino and Matt Archibald were the shit. And they still are. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> still, both of them still surf great. I, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I could only hope that I could have, you know, but no. It's, and then it blows my, because when I met them, they were 15, 14, and now they're 50. <laughs> Dude, forget about that. Their kids are 25 I now. know. <laughs> Uh, it's crazy. Uh, uh, every time I run into Dino and Dino, it's just like, oh man. Anyway, no. I, I anytime I run into any of my old friends in town here, so yeah. Um, you mentioned seeing that board, Archie's old board, mm -hmm. on Instagram. Yeah. Do you actually spend time on Instagram? Yeah. What are your favorite accounts to follow? Um, mine. No. <laughs> wow. <laughs> No, no ego at all. No, huh? no. And it's like I do it like once a week. I'll post something. Yeah. You know. No, I mean, you're Greg A13 is my is my moniker. Anyway, no, um God, just people that like to do good stuff. Dave Parmenter stuff, you know, I follow Harbor. We do, you know. Harbor? Yeah. Harbor. That's one of our accounts. Yeah. In fact, when this is one of the biggest cool I, I when I was going through my divorce from my first wife. Years ago, I tried to do some boards for Harbor, and for some reason, that it just didn't work out right. And and <clears throat> years later, when color work was starting to come back in, I called them, 
And he and he goes, yeah, I remember we had a hard time. And I go, yeah, well, I was going through you know hard time then. And and he goes, well, I'll tell you the truth, Greg. He goes, we just hired Tony Channon to do our work. And I'm like, well, I'm backing off because Tony's one of my idols. That's that's who. when I used to work at Plastic Fantastic. There, uh, Channon Different Different Board came in, this light blue tint, and I'm like. I didn't. I was speechless. The thing was so beautiful. Chan and glass it, different, different. You know, shaped it. It was just one of the best looking boards I ever. And this is like my third year in making surfboards. I go, that's what I really want to. I had never seen anything that beautiful. And that light blue is tough to do. It, right? It's yeah. It shows every it's imperfection. Harder than shit. Yeah. <laughs> just so you know, people. Yeah. Anything yeah, that's like and that's what colors I, I, I my favorite colors were all the really lighter ones, which showed the most crap if you didn't do them right. They highlight the imperfections. And exactly. Yeah. yeah. And There's but no anyway, hiding. I saw that. But so anyway, so I I told him, nah, I'm gonna I'm gonna back off. And then for some reason, I don't know what happened, and um, we ended up doing his boards again. Well, a year later, he made me a balsa board, a balsa gun, like the kind I like. I'm never going to ride it, but he it took him like a, six months to shape it, shape the fin, the nose, tail box, all this stuff. And then he just gave it to me. And he goes, this is for doubling my business last year. No way. I'm like, what? Okay. Wow. That's the kind of- What a cool dude. Yeah. So Rich Harbor told me a story. You might have heard this one. Um, when he first started getting really busy there in Seal Beach, Dale Velzi came down. Another one of my heroes. And he's yeah. like, he's like, hey man, I'll help you out. Like I'll I'll shape some boards for you, do the surplus work, and I'll I'll turn them around in one week. How many do you need? Ten boards, no big deal. I'll take them up to my place, bring them back to you next week. I'll do them every week if you need them. So he's like, all right. So the first batch that Dale did turned out great. Second batch not so great. Third batch really kind of spotty. So he's like, man, I gotta really have a chat with Dale. So he drives up to Dale's place to have a chat with him. Turns out Dale was running a shaping school mm-hmm. and he was taking Harbor's orders. I heard about that one. <laughs> charging people a fee to run, to let them become, you know, teach them how to shape, yeah. taking their second rate product, giving it back to Harbor and charging Harbor for having shaped the board. Even though he, yeah, no. I, what a scam. Yeah. And, but everybody had a laugh. I mean, I'm sure Rich was pissed at the time, but in hindsight, what a character. No, you know? Dale, he was. Yeah, he. Um, I did probably the last hundred boards of his that he Glass shaped. Him. Yeah, and and um, God, I had met him. God, the beginning of my career, you know, at one of the glass shops I worked at, and uh, I'm out to dinner one night at the Vintage Steakhouse, which was God one of the best restaurants in San Clemente for like thirty years, and. I'm sitting there with a friend and my wife, and, and we're looking. I'm like going, that's Dale Vilsey over there. And I'm like, oh, ah, he'll never remember me. It was like 20 years ago. I, you know, So we just ate dinner, and we're walking out, and I'm not paying any attention. And he goes, Greg, March. You know, and I'm like, oh, he remembered. Anyway, I started work, working for him that's again. Awesome. Yeah. No, and then we used to go out every Friday night to the vintage to eat. Yeah, it was, I can't imagine. Um, Vintage now is where um, South of Nix is. Oh, okay. That beautiful old 1928 building. That, oh, man. Anyway, yeah. I can't imagine all the iconic boards that have come through your shop. 
It, it's a, a lot. It's crazy. A lot. And I'm missing. God, you just mentioned Bills. I'm like, fuck. Ah, yeah. That's forgot another to guy him. I forgot about. <laughs> yeah. Only one of the most important of all time. I know. Um, well, I was asking you about Instagram. Um, are there any surfers who kind of when their account pops up or their footage pops up that you'll stop everything to watch? Rob. Rob Machado? Yeah. 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 Timeless. Yeah. Do you no, know he's, he's Do you a know friend him personally? I've met him a couple times. We know him. he follows me. Uh, uh. Does he really? Yeah. Well, that's what he said when I met him. <laughs> no way. You got are you glassing his boards? No. No. He does different no, no. Um who what glassers in the world do you look up to out there? Maybe they're on Instagram, maybe they're not. Whose work do you see and you're like, that guy's got it? Well, the two guys in my shop. Who are they? Chris and and Chris Champion and my son Ryan Martz. They they do the same damn work I do. And then there's this one kid, stupid kid, Alex Villalobos, Super Wolf. <laughs> what a jerk. <laughs> he does some beautiful work. He's come up with a way better name, nickname than you have so far. Super Wolf. Super Wolf. Yeah. It's badass, dude. No, I'm just You gotta come up with something. Greg A. Just Greg Martz. <laughs> <Yeah>. Jeez. <laughs> Could have tried harder, Greg. No, but most I, I, they see Greg A and they go, "Oh, Greggy." No, I'm not Greggy. I'm Greg Gay. <laughs> not, 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 no, not the way that just sounded. Anyway, <laughs> something so. you want to confess here today, Greg? No, is that no, what I we're don't. doing? Um, your son Ryan is he taking over some business responsibilities? It's his shop now. Official. Official. It's officially. Yeah. Okay. How's he doing? Where's my money? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Are you? Uh, is he? Carrying your legacy on proudly. Big time. Good. I got no complaints whatsoever, except for when he's rude. Like when I want to come in and work and just do some stuff and he doesn't have room for me. Sorry, dad. Don't have room for you today. What? (laughs) Fired by your own can. (laughs) I know. But that's okay. Um, If you could order one board from anybody in the world, what would you order? Dave Parmenter, Stub Vector. Really? 6'8". 6'8 to 7'0". Yeah. I got to get me one. Try one. What is it a short? I'm like a short board design. It's there. It's a stub vector. It's not a pointy. I mean, it's got a pointy nose, but it's not. How do you uh, describe the? It's kind of like a fun board, but it's like it was like I was. Yeah, we used to make. Well, we still do Vegas airports, and was like one of the boards I liked. I always liked okay trestles and San Onofre. Okay, different kind of a wave, but they kind of mix in the two. But you don't need you know a little rocket ship. You need something that's maybe 20 plus wide, you know, and, and really flat. Mm-hmm. That's what I found that worked for me. And I always went for a little bit bigger board than, than normal. In fact, when I was doing a lot of Rusty's, um, he had some some top kids. Chris Frohop was one of them. And I think Chris was like 6'2 or something. Anyway, he'd make him a little bit bigger board. And I'm like, oh, that's what I want. You know, it's like, well, this is not, no, I want that size board. And that's what I, I started getting just a little bit bigger boards for myself. And then, you know, having sh- other guys shape them. And then I met Dave and saw the stub vector and rode one and then took it to Costa Rica. And it was like the best waves and the fastest I've ever been hmm. anywhere. So what's the fin setup on that? The tri-fin. Hmm. Glassed on, hopefully. I hate I hate box. No, it's like it's like 
now they got five boxes, six boxes. It was just like, it just screws with your head. Oh, I'm going to put the left fin in this way and the right. Oh, no, wait, there's two left fins and two. Wait, take out the back fin. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just like too many things to think about. So just glass. Learn how to, yeah, just, yeah. yeah. And it was like when they made the tri-fin, that was, I was, I, I liked single fins, especially with flexi fin, you know. But man, tri-fins, that was, and that came just at the right time for me, like when in my late 30s, you know, good time. Yeah, you could still surf high performance. I, I surfed pretty good until I was like 62. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and then started going downhill. Cause, do you, can you imagine getting back in the water at some point? Yeah. If I was at a beach where there wasn't anybody out but my friends and it was kind of mellow. Oh, like trestles on a really, <laughs> and the water was 75. Yeah. So if you find yourself on a vacation. I could do that. You're, you'd get back I could, in the water. Yeah. Do you remember the last session that you had? And I would love to know what was the last board that you rode. It was a Dave Parmenter and it was at Bruce Jones' funeral. Paddle out. Where was that? Sunset Beach. I, re- I actually remember that. Yeah. Well, and it was actually kind of warm that day too. You know? I know. I, now that you're you're actually jogging my memory, I no, feel like there was, was waves running. There that, were. There it was, was like, a swell. It was, like, it was like three foot. Yeah. And the water, you could see your reflection on the bottom. Yeah. Your shadow. And I decided I was going to take off on. The, I'm like, oh, and everybody, Greg, you don't have a leash, and I'm like, yeah, no big deal, you know. I, I wasn't going to catch a wave anyway, and and I, I start to go in. I'm like. So like a three foot wave and I start to get up and both my knees gave out one at a time as I'm getting up and uh, I purled, you know, and I mean, I can see the whole thing and I'm, I'm laughing. I don't even, sure. it's not a big deal to me anymore. And, and then I, I, it, my board comes popping out of the wave and, and I see my son is like, dad, you okay? And I like, I go, I can't touch, you know, <laughs> anyway. I could touch, but it was yeah, just, yeah, he yeah. shot me his board over. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. No. That's nice, though, taking care of Pops. Yep. He's a good kid. Awesome. I got a really cool daughter, too. She didn't surf, but. She's not glass and boards? Nope. <laughs> but she used to work for me, and that was the coolest time I had was when both of them were working with me. That that was cool. be amazing if their kids continue the legacy. And everybody's going that, you know, well, she doesn't have any kids and he's got a little little boy, Zeke, who's almost two now. And everybody's going, he's the next surfboard lamb. And I'm like, man, I hope he goes to something, you know, a little more. Maybe he'd be a pro athlete or something, you know, or something, yeah. you know. Yeah. Awesome, Greg. Well, I covered all my questions, man. Dude, this was fun. Thank you. I didn't even know if this was going to be any fun. This was great. Thank, Thank you. you. I appreciate you taking the time. No. Without, without When Josh told me about it, I'm like, okay, I'll do it. I'll do this guy a favor. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, I appreciate you rolling the dice. I was in the army, but I never dug a trench. Used to bust my knuckles on a monkey ranch. I go to town and drink, give the girls a pinch, but I don't think they ever even notice me. Father, forgive us for what we must do. You forgive us, we'll forgive you. We'll forgive each other till we both turn blue. Then we'll whistle and go fishing in heaven. Fish and whistle, we'll whistle and fish. Thanks again, Greg. Grateful to connect, and I'm grateful for a glimpse behind 
the curtain at the Waterman's Guild. I have links to their website and their social media on surfsplendorpodcast.com, along with images of everything we discussed in this episode. Of course, Jeff Timponi's information is there too, along with the Maui Leaf Light information. If you'd like to donate to support this show, you'll be entered to win that board. And then I'll be doing this type of giveaway again in future months, so stay tuned. I think that it provides a lot of value for all three parties involved, so I'm glad to be able to facilitate it. Let me know if you want to hear more of something specific or a certain board type to be analyzed, whatever. I'm all ears. And that is all for this week on Surf Splendor. As always, rate and review the show in iTunes or whatever app you use. That helps strangers to find it. And please share it with friends. Um, Surely you know someone who would be interested to hear about how surfboards are built. Tag them on Instagram. Post this episode on their Facebook wall if anybody still uses Facebook. And um, I'm really focused on just producing the content, this show itself. So if you can market it for me, that'll be our pact. I rely on you. And in that effort, I've actually printed stickers and t-shirts for the boardroom show. So swing by, grab those, and then afterwards I'll make them available through our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. So leave a comment there about today's show, and then I'll make sure that Greg Martz sees it. I'll be back next week with an all-new episode of Surf Splendor. Until then, get in the ocean, share some waves, and shred on.